Hey, Lily, what would you say to your younger self? You know, the one who's barely even a product manager? Ooh, great question. I'd probably say when some guy called Randy asks you if you want to do a podcast, <laughs> oh, definitely God. say yes, because you will learn so much and meet some awesome people. I'm really glad you did say yes, because, you know, can you imagine me doing this solo? <laughs> Somewhere on my hard drive, there's a recording of me with a cheesy American DJ voice saying, hey, welcome to the Minimum Viable Podcast. And that that that's just bad. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> I, I probably also tell myself to learn about product management earlier. I mean, I spent way too many years as an interactive producer and kind of just blindly stumbling about instead of using the techniques I've learned since then. Well, tonight we hear some great advice for any PMs from Ronki Magikadumi, Senior Product Manager at PayPal. She teaches product management and is used to giving advice and tips to budding product managers, and we were lucky enough to gain her as an ally. Ooh, I see what you did there. Ronki also talked to us about the importance of finding allies and building a relationship. So let's let's get right into that. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Ronki, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Tell us a little bit about yourself for anyone who doesn't already know you. I know you've been doing lots of writing and talks lately, but what are you up to these days and how did you get into product in the first place? Oh, great question. So let me start with how I got into product. So I actually didn't know I was in product, <laughs> as most people you sort of fall into it. Uh, I started out working as a technical support rep for a small company in Albany, New York. Uh, I was back then, um, back then forms where you would literally print out forms and take it to the bankruptcy court to file a bankruptcy to help save a client's house or stop wage garnishment. So I would literally would be helping bankruptcy attorneys configure their printer driver, right? Or installing the latest update or going to a bankruptcy court website like California Central to go figure out there's a new form and how quickly can I help, help them, you know, get into the system and so forth. I uh, started out doing that, and then like there were um, the organization that I worked for hired a bunch of new engineers, and so they needed okay. Number one, how does this product work? Number two, what are the top five problems? Because they didn't have a product manager, so what are the top five problems? And oh, by the way, can you walk us through it? You know, so it's kind of started out as that, and I and they would come to me as a subject matter expert, and then eventually there was a role available as a content editor. We're talking just literally recreating those bankruptcy forms. Mm -hmm. And I applied for it. I got it. I started to work with an actual product manager on the product. And she would, I mean, we started off with me getting to know her and her getting to know me and trusting me to go get the right forms. 
do the forms and then she would review it. So I'm talking creating the forms in crystal reports, by the way, and then creating the data <laughs> entry form. Exactly. Right. Creating the data entry form in Microsoft access and writing SQL queries. <laughs> and then uh, eventually she trusted me enough to just go do it on my own. <laughs> and then she would review it. And then she left and then I applied for her role. And that is how I became a product manager. And I, worked for Lexus for a while, uh, and then I decided I was tired of that, and I decided to move into what we call a web producer role, where I was helping Lexus build e-commerce websites for their website. That lasted maybe six months, because (laughs) um, (laughs) there was a company in Dayton, Ohio, that wanted to build a SaaS platform for bankruptcy filing software, again, for bankruptcy attorneys, but they wanted to build the first of its kind SaaS platform, Mm -hmm. so I went to go do that. And while I was doing that, uh, we were about to launch. We were going to pilot it in a certain state, in a couple of states. The company, the private equity company that owned that company, bought the largest bankruptcy filing provider in the market, a small company called Best Case in Evanston, Illinois. Their CEO became a combined CEO. And by the way, I always tell younger product managers this, always be nice to people. (laughs) Because you never know who's going to be your boss. Guess what? <laughs> my competitor, Alexis, became my boss. <laughs> so she offered me an opportunity to move to Chicago to help manage her software. And so I did. I got to Chicago. Um, it gave me a chance to kind of slow down a little bit, you know, because the, the culture was more of a family. Everybody had kids, so they had to leave at a certain time to go take care of their family. So it kind of gave me a time to kind of slow down, take care of myself. Um, while I was there, she left, and then I then left and went to work for a company called Backstop Solutions. They make CRMs, SaaS platform CRMs, available for institutional investors, fund of funds, private equity. I went in to go work on the investor portal, which is what the mm-hmm. investor themselves would log into to see how the funds are performing or to see if there's any other products that they want to invest in. So I went in to go do that. While I was there, I fell madly in love with my boyfriend. Uh, he's from Chicago, but he lives in the Bay Area. And pretty much the conversation went something like this. So if this works out, I'm not moving back here because of the cold. <laughs> so you're going to have to move. <laughs> so I, I moved. I moved here uh, to the Bay Area, came to work for PayPal, where at PayPal, I help large enterprise merchants manage and grow their business. And that's what I've been up to. That's how I started off as a product manager. Fantastic. And, you know, I think Albany is this secret, slight, uh, really unknown powerhouse of product Mm -hmm. stuff, because I spent a few years there, you were there, and actually Ken Norton did a little bit of time at RPI. I think he got a master's there. Oh, wow. Look at that. (laughs) Yes, everyone talks about San Francisco, but it's really Albany. Albany, New York. Oh, well, okay, so you have to tell your audience, right, that I went to college in Albany, and so did you, so they're going to be wondering why the Albany reference. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, no, you're right. Um, It's funny. I didn't even know what a product manager was back then. If I had known, I think I would have probably changed my degree or something and just (laughs) focused on that, or at least on marketing, right? Because that's the other thing is, as product manager uh, back then, I just sucked at marketing. I really <laughs> sucked at marketing myself. I mean, think about it. Even your introduction, right, is marketing. Mm-hmm. Is, you're telling your story. Uh, man, the things I would do differently if I had if I'd known what I know now. So, 
Okay, we want to talk to you about a bunch of the things sure. that you would do differently. That's the, the big theme of today. But one of the things you mentioned earlier, I'd like to start with, if that's all right. Um, you talked about uh, being nice to everyone and how your competitor became your boss. Something else you've written about in the past is of the importance of building alliances. And I think that's a, a common theme, a common thread through that. So talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Why are alliances so important for product people? Sure, no problem. So first I want to mention, um, people always confuse alliances with mentors. My mentors, I'm, I'm so super lucky, right? I have four incredible women in my life who mentored me since college. And um, even when I didn't think I needed it, they, they kind of dragged me along. And I'm grateful for that. I think your mentors are the people that you go to, right? You go to to talk about different things and get their advice. Your allies are the people that you work with throughout the day. It doesn't matter what organization you move to, you're going to have allies. The reason why allies are so important, and maybe it's just, and again, this is just my perspective, is because you're going to have, you need somebody who can give it to you straight, right? Somebody who will look you in the eyes and say, you're screwing up. You could have done that better. Right? That presentation could have been way better. You were not prepared. How do I, somebody who can help you fix that, somebody who will hold your hand when you're having really rough days right, and help you get through it. Your allies and why you need those alliances is because you need people who are going to be your champion and be there for your success. And they will help you accomplish not just your professional goals, but your personal ambitions as well. That's why it's important because you you need people. You cannot do this alone. So how do you, when you're working in various different teams, how do you kind of identify someone who can be an ally for you? Um, do you kind of specifically seek people out or do those relationships naturally form? I seek people out because if you think about it, people are busy, right? So the way I do that is whenever I started a new organization, the first thing I do is I make a list. I make a list of not just, I make a list of who I, who I need to work with, right? So in my organization and in all organizations that I've worked at, there is risk, compliance, legal, right? Privacy and so forth. I make a list. Who are my counterparts there that I need to go talk to? But then what I also do is I make a list of my boss's colleagues who I need to go introduce myself to. And I'll explain why in a minute. And then I also make a list of who else? design team who's the design lead who's my partner on the design side who's their boss content designers the person doing the content on my on my experiences who is that person who's their boss um research who's that person who's my counterpart who's their boss right and so forth and then i showed that list to my boss and i say hi i'm gonna go meet all these people Oh, and also customer service, by the way. You never forget about customer service lead. And I say, I'm going to go meet all these people. Is there anybody I've left out? And they'll tell me if there's anybody I've left out. And then I schedule a meeting with all of them. And I introduce myself. I call it the Ronky Tour. I show up and I'm like, hi, I'm Ronky. I'm new. This is my new role. How can we work? How, I know I'm going to be working with you. Uh, help me understand how do you want to work together? And I ask all those questions, but the reason why I do that is because those folks have a historical context to my role that I don't know. They knew who was there before, what that person did well, what they didn't do well. They know all the weaknesses and strengths of that person, and they can help me and shed some light and help me basically be successful in this new role. And then the other thing is I never leave the room without doing two things. One is 
Um, what does success look like to you in this role after 30 days, after 60 days, after 90 days? That's one. And two, can I have a reoccurring meeting with you? Can I schedule it biweekly? Now, the, my boss's colleagues, why that's important is because every leader has different leadership styles. And I want to learn their leadership styles. Every leader has their strengths and their weaknesses, right? But I want to learn theirs. And the reason why it's important for me to meet with my, my boss's colleagues is because guess what? When it comes to review time, who has a say in my review? They do, right? So if I already get to know them and I'm having bi-weeklies or bi-month or even a monthly meeting with them and they understand my professional and my personal ambitions, they can help me. Whenever a presentation time comes with their leadership, they can go, hey, Ronky, our leader wants you to know about this and you're working on this project. Can you come and speak to it? And guess what? I will jump at that opportunity. I will do the presentation way ahead of time and I will show it to that leader before I show it to their leadership. And why that's important is because when it comes to review time and they have to pick between five people and you and all your boss's colleagues are in the room with their bosses, their boss will remember you because you presented to them at a certain time, right? So it's easier case to make for you. I'm curious when you're, you're putting that list uh, or that map of people together, is there a formal process to use? Do you do it with other people or is it just a, an activity that you've learned how to do on your own? I've been doing this activity on my own for every job. I think it should be, I think there should be a process though. And the reason I, I think that Randy is because you have recent college grads that are coming into the product space now, right? They don't know all these tools that they, they don't know about how important it is to have these alliances. And I think it should be formalized also. Because I think that should be formalized and having a coach should be formalized or a mentor should all be formalized. It should be like part of the process on your first day, go meet, you know, here's your list of people you need to go work with. And you, by the way, you're required to go meet with them and introduce yourself. So. One of our one of our previous guests, Emily Weber, has done a book about uh, a free book actually called The Team Onion, which is an exercise you do with your team about stakeholders and and mm -hmm. everyone and you know who's the closest, who's the furthest, but you know every and different methods for uh, how you communicate with them. It sounds like it might be something that uh, would fit in really nicely with this practice. Oh, absolutely. Um, and one thing I want to mention, by the way, the reason why I'm also meeting with the leads of all the other team design content research is because I'm going to be working with their team, right? And they're usually the ones that are left out of the equation, if you think about it, right? In most, you know, a lot of organizations, no one thinks about the content designer. No one thinks about the researcher until you need them, right? And then design, some people think design is just there to draw pictures. I actually don't think so. I think design, I like every conversation that I have with customers and my colleagues internally to be driven by design, right? I like design to drive the conversation. So actually, they're the first person I get to know. Right. And I get to know their leadership as well. I will give you an example. My design lead gives it to me straight. Some people don't like that, but I love that. He does not miss his words. He will literally look me in the face and say, you are screwing up. Or I don't like that presentation. Or why didn't you tell me you were doing this presentation? I could have partnered with you. That is the kind of person I want to work with. So what I really like about the way that you're describing these relationships um, is that it sounds very, uh, very kind of two way in the sense of um, you're both getting something out of it. 
But how do you introduce that when you're first establishing the relationships with your, um, you know, with these allies, because they're potentially quite busy, senior people. So is there a way that you kind of open up that dialogue to say, you know, you can get something out of this too, because I'm going to be, I don't know, like giving you information that you wouldn't necessarily have or access or making sure that your team is successful by doing X, Y, Z. Um, and what's the way that you open up that that two-way dynamic in that in that ally relationship? So let's take my design lead, for instance, or my content lead. They have, uh, they have a huge, huge um, say in what I'm building, right? So it's important that they are... So I, I work in, in a box. So what I mean by the box is there's my designer, my tech lead, and myself. It's the three in a box. Some organizations call it triangle. I move with them. So if I go to talk to a customer, they are with me, right? If I go talk to legal privacy, they are with me. They're never without me. I'm never without them. So what you start to do is almost kind of form like a mini culture, right? That we have these, you know, all three of us are working together and collaborating together to build the best products, but we move together. Why their leadership is super important is because I'm going to be presenting my experiences to my leadership. You know, we have this forum where we present to our leadership every week, actually, every Tuesday. And as a product leader, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to present. They should not be seeing that for the first time, right? They should have already known about it, that I'm working with their team and this is what their teams are working on. But also, I'm going to be, they have, so they have a stake in that relationship, right? Because... And I have a stake because I want design to drive the conversation because I don't want to miss anything. And I want to build the best, minimal, lovable product. So they have a stake in my success. I have a stake in their success. So it's a win-win there. I don't have to do a lot of negotiating there. Now with my boss's boss, you're right. They're super, super busy. But, and I have to be the one to cultivate that relationship because they don't need me. I need them, right? So that means, you know, even if they're busy, just ask them for coffee you know, once a month. And believe it or not, I got lucky in the organization that I've worked at. It is part of everybody's KPI to be, to mentor. So I've been lucky no one has said no to me, that they would absolutely come along and when I have that coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. It hasn't always been positive, but I also don't go away either. I'm very, 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 um, I want to say, let's just say I don't go away very easily. I don't take no for an answer very easily either. <laughs> I am very persistent. <laughs> you, you know, you may tell me you're busy this month, but I'll come back another month later. <laughs> so, you, if, you, yeah. you make it sound easy, but I think we've all worked with people, and we don't need to name any names, mm-hmm. but we've mm-hmm. all worked with people who are, let's say, not so easy. Let's be oh, nice about it. Of course. Um, have you been able to turn detractors or blockers into allies? How, how oh, have you made that work? Oh, absolutely. Listen, there's one colleague I have. Okay, first of all, I want to say this. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to make the wrong decision for my organization. Nobody does that, right? So <laughs> it's up to me as the product leader to figure out why they are saying no to me on a certain project. They must have concerns. What are those concerns? So I'll give you an example. One of my favorite people in the world, I'm the 
uh, this is on the risk side of the house, right? So if you kind of think about risk, what risk wants to do is prevent fraud, right? And this happened many, many years ago, different organizations. And the person was like telling me, no, I couldn't build this particular thing. I wanted to build a feature. I wanted to build for a customer, uh, for all our customers. And they told me no in front of my colleagues and my cross-functional partners. <laughs> they told me no when I tried to talk to them. And then I came back and I said, okay, meet me halfway here. I, there is something. I said, we're talking past each other here. Meet me halfway. What am I not understanding? And then he broke it down for me, all the social engineering that could happen that I'm not thinking of as a product leader, right? He broke it down. So then I said, okay, how about this? Let me build this and only give it to one customer and you can monitor it. And they can only have two users that will have this permission. You know, they'll be able to use this feature. And I will go build all the other tools to make it safer before we can release it into the wild. And he agreed. So you see what I mean? Think about that, right? He said no to me several times. <laughs> but I kept going back because I know his intentions were good. They're not bad. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to make all the wrong decisions. So I make it a point to me to go figure what that is and meet that person halfway. And do you find, did you find that your relationship with that individual changed after that situation? Oh, absolutely. He's one of the best people. And also till today, uh, we don't work together anymore, but on LinkedIn, he's also the first to like all my posts. Uh, <laughs> we know who it is now. <laughs> He's the first one to like all my posts and I don't even work with him anymore. But yeah, I mean, we became, I think we got closer as working partners. I understood a little bit more his world. And you know what I did? Uh, I would actually have him present to my team, to my scrum team, so that we understand his world a little bit more as we were building tools. I, th- I thought I was kind of neat. What mistakes do you see other people making in this space? Has anyone, for example, has anyone ever tried to make you an ally and failed at it? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, for starters, <laughs> if you throw me under the bus in a meeting, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to want to be an ally, right? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> so, um, listen, I've had situations where people are throwing me under the bus in a meeting. And the thing is, once you do that to a colleague, it's hard to rectify it. Think about it, right? Especially if you do that in a meeting with your leadership, right? And I, I have colleagues, I have one particular, I have one colleague in particular who I really thought was wicked smart. I thought, great, uh, this person is awesome. But this person continuously throws me under the bus, and not just me, but other colleagues as well. So it's kind of hard to have an ally, right? Because that trust is not there. Right. That's the other thing, too. I always tell uh, the PMs that I mentor, you must cultivate that trust. Right. So if you think about the example I just gave, right, that colleague of mine understood that I was not going to go around them to go build this feature and release it into the wild. Right. Because we just had that relationship. They appreciated the fact that I kept coming back and talking to them, trying to meet them halfway right? Versus me going and building it and just releasing it. So trust is a key component. And at the end of the day, I always say this, we work with each other over eight hours a day. We see each other probably more than we see our family members, right? What does it hurt 
to just be nice <laughs> and cultivate that trust because you're going to work with that person. You don't know when they're going to leave. You don't know when you're going to leave. And at the end of the day, you all have one thing in common, which is you want to build the best products for your customers, but it starts with trust. So what are, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in your career that you wish you'd known when you first started out? What are the, the kind of key takeaways that you've had throughout your professional career? Oh, um, so first of all, that's a great question. So first of all, it doesn't matter whether or not I'm correct. It doesn't matter whether or not I'm right. Don't be, don't be a jerk. <laughs> Just don't be a jerk. <laughs> that's one. <laughs> that's one lesson. Second lesson, I have learned that I prefer prod-led organizations versus engineering-led organizations. Prod-led organizations, I can be myself. I can come to work and be my authentic self and focus on the customer because I can be customer-focused. I can be customer-obsessed, whatever you want to call it, but your customer is always first. And if I work in prod-led organizations, I'm able to really do my job there, right, versus engineering-led. By the way, I just want to say, for those listening, it's not all engineering-led organizations. It's just been my experience. So I just want to say that. Um, I just prefer that kind of an environment. Uh, Lila, you were going to say something? Yeah, so Ronki, on on that, how have you figured out a way to identify an engineering-led organization before you go to work there? Because I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, you don't necessarily get an idea for, for what kind of organization it is before you start somewhere. I've, I've made those mistakes myself where, um, listen, we all want to be Steve Jobs, right? So early in my career, I wanted to be a product rock star. I wanted to be the first PM to build a SaaS platform for bankruptcy attorneys. But what I didn't do was I didn't do my homework, right? So now I do my homework. Part of my interview process, not just any organization you go to, right? Think, so if you, the way I look at it is when I'm interviewing, I'm not, they're not just interviewing me. I'm interviewing them, right? So my questions with HR, I always got to about diversity and inclusion, right? Super important, right? That's important to me. And two, I always ask about who makes the decisions. Is it engineering that makes the decisions or is it product that makes the decision? I ask all those questions. And then with the hiring manager, I'm following up and asking those questions. How will this work? Is it a collaboration? Because listen, I don't even want to, I love organizations where it's a collaboration. It's not just product also making the decision because here's the thing, right? Lily, is that even as a product manager, I have blind spots and I have biases. So I want a collaboration. I want a cross-functional team that is diverse, right? Diverse in thought, diverse in gender, diverse in geography, diverse in lived experiences, diverse in background and circumstances because I'm building for an emerging global market and they have a demographic that is changing every single day. And because they're changing every single day, their needs are changing. I have to meet them where they are. How do I do that? I need a diverse organization to do that, right? Diverse cross-functional team. So I'm always asking those questions. Who makes the decision? How is it made? Do you expect only product to make those decisions? If I invite my tech lead to a customer meeting, is he able to attend? Can he attend? And then the other thing I always do, Lily, I always ask to meet with my engineering counterpart. And I talk to them about my style hey, would you be willing to come to a meeting? And if you're not able to, can I record it? But I really prefer that you are in the meeting. Oh, and by the way, 
I'm going to do something called a day in the life. And I'm going to bring a customer to go meet us and have lunch with us. Would you be able to attend? Are you okay with all the scrum teams attending that discussion? Those things are important because if I bring a customer to come for a day in the life, there are three things that happen. Engineers get to meet their customer, the person using their platform. They get to not only meet them, have lunch with them. Now you make it personal, right? But you also get to understand why did they pick you? Out of all the competitors, they picked you and why. And you get to understand who else in the organization uses their, your product. What are the jobs to be done that they're trying to do? What other tools are they using? But you understand how they use your product. A couple of things happen in that conversation. Engineers, when they go back to their desk, they become transformed. They are not the same people before that meeting because they're coming in. They, now they understand. They see how people are using their product. But it inspires them. It motivates them. And it aligns them with me and my roadmap and my product strategy. They now understand why Rocky's roadmap looks like that. Right? For the customer, they are transformed as well because they've made you. People building their product. And they are just as inspired as well. If an engineer does not want me to include the Scrum team in that kind of a discussion, I kind of need to take a step back and figure out if this is the right organization for me. Rocky, it sounds like a lot of what you're trying to do there is is culture change and trying to make sure you're in in a culture that's positive and one that's set up for for success. But it also sounds like, and I, this is a lesson it's took it taken me a long time to learn, and I've made lots of mistakes in it with the best of intentions people who are used to operating in a different way, say in an engineering-led culture, can find that intimidating. They can find it threatening. So you start off this this bit by saying, don't be a jerk. You can go in with great intentions, but someone else might think you're being a jerk. Exactly. So how do you know if you, even you know that you've got the right intentions, how do you know if you're being a jerk, even if you're you're trying to do it right? I ask a lot of questions. So um, to give an example... There was an organization that I started working in, and the first thing I did, apart from me and my boss, I have a lunch with my tech lead every Wednesday. He and I, just off to a corner, having lunch together. And I ask him, I ask him, I said, listen, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm new. Help me. And he actually said this to me. You ready? He suggested this to me. He goes, ask your team to have lunch with you every Wednesday, the engineering team. And I looked at him and I thought, they will? He goes, it doesn't hurt to try. He goes, that's how you'll get to know them. Because they were all new and I was new. So I took his advice and I scheduled a lunch at 12 noon (laughs) and it became a tradition. And every day, every Wednesday at 12 o'clock, my whole entire engineering team, content design, we would all go outside and have lunch together and we got to know each other and we formed a community. And what that did was it led me into their world on a personal level. They understood me on a personal level. And that, number one, was you do that. It doesn't, even if they don't agree with my decisions, they understand I have the best intention, right? So honestly, it starts with, number one, just be vulnerable. Be vulnerable and ask, how do I do this? This organization is new. Uh, The culture is new. I'm trying to assimilate somebody, you know, help me. How do I do this? And I'm always there to ask that question. I'm like, I don't know everything. Help me understand this. And by the way, that discussion changed my life because it led to my lunch with my team, 
which led to every Wednesday. And even though I don't even work with all those engineers anymore, guess what? I still talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to reach out. So you've mentioned um, before that you've worked in uh, various different environments and sometimes it's not always been uh, a great environment. What kind of advice would you give to people who are, you know, not feeling it right now, who are kind of, you know, uh, worrying about whether they're doing a good job and not really enjoying the the product experience? Oh, I just put the name of the podcast in the title. <laughs> no worries. That was um, so unintentional. <laughs> no worries. No, I don't, no worries. Uh, so a couple of things. Let me see if I, if I can answer that. And there's different ways to answer that. So give me one moment. So, okay. So I'll say this. There's a concept that I strive for, which is running from and running to. Am I, and I always ask myself this question. Am I running from my job because I'm uncomfortable? Because they're stretching me and I don't want to stretch that way. I don't want to learn new things. I don't want to do this. Or... Is it because it is truly bad and, uh, and I'm, you know, it is truly bad and it's a toxic working environment. Does that make sense? There's like a difference. And I kind of go through those analysis in my head. Only the person going through it can decide if it's a toxic environment and move out of it. I've been in those, right? I've I've worked in toxic environment. It sucks. (laughs) So, um, especially also with me, I had imposter syndrome. So you sort of feel like you kind of have to accept what's being what you're going through. But it took me a while to realize that, no, I don't have to do that. I don't have to accept that, those kinds of behavior, that kind of culture. Um, so you sort of have to figure that out first, right? I prefer to run to opportunities. I want to run to an opportunity, right? Versus run from. So that's the thing is you sort of have to figure out is what I'm trying to get away from. Is it stretching me? And I just don't want to stretch that way. Or is it really a toxic environment, right? You sort of have to sort that out. And before you run to the next opportunity, because what happens is whatever it is you're running from, you're going to find it in the next role. And what are you going to do? Run from that as well. So those are the kind of analysis that I sort of do in my own head anyway. And I do it with people who really know me. Those four women that I mentioned, by the way, they've all worked with me. I've worked for them before they became my mentor. So they all understand my weakness and my strengths, right? So if it's something that I'm running from, they're able to call me up on it, right? And go, you're running from this, right? So that's one. And again, those allies, by the way, those allies leave your organization. They go to other organizations. But guess what? You have those alliances and same thing there. There's one person in particular that I talked to and he used to be my design lead. And I talked to him at least twice a week, by the way. And he'll like, he gives it to me straight. Last week, he literally said something to me. He was like, so what are you doing? What are you doing with this? <laughs> you know, um, always gives it to me straight. I'm going to talk to him this afternoon about something. And he's going to give it to me straight. So, <laughs> um, so I hope I answered your question, but you sort of have to figure that out because you're walking that walk. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? You're the one walking that walk. And you got to figure out, is it time for me to go or is it just there's things that I need to learn here, even if I'm uncomfortable, mm. right? Is it where yeah. Because like, if I'm uncomfortable, is it because I don't want to learn it or is it because it's making me stretch? Because also the other thing I tell 
our younger PMs is your brain wants to take a shortcut, right? I always tell my scrum team this, our brain wants to take a shortcut. Our brain is like, no, 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 let's just go with assumptions. We don't have to do all that testing. It's up to us to challenge that assumption, right? So you sort of have to do that exercise as well and go, am I running from, am I running to? I love it. Brilliant. Ronki, thank you so much. We've run out of time, but it's been so great talking to you um, and hearing about your experiences and um, your journey through product management. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you for having me. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>